Welcome to Seek Go Create. We redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry by sharing topics, stories, and conversations that allow us or sometimes force us to rethink how we live, work, and lead. I'm your host, Tim Winders. I'm a performance coach, author, and I specialize in helping executive teams and entrepreneurs and leaders maximize their potential. First thing I wanna ask before I get to our guest is I wanna ask that you connect with us. Wherever you're listening, watching, or whatever it is, connect with us. If you're just now getting a glimpse of what we're doing, here's the best way to do that. Go to our website, seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com. And if it's the first time you're visiting there, you should see a banner up at the top of the page that says, get bonus content, never miss an episode. Put in your best email address there and you're connected. You're in the club, you're on the team, you're with us. You are seeking, going and creating with us. And we'd love to have you there. I will say that there's a lot of cool things we do. We'll let you know when episodes happen, but also we like to do giveaways. We've recently added t-shirts and hoodies and long sleeve tees and we've got mugs and you know what we do from time to time we just give stuff away and if you're on our email list you become eligible so make sure you jump on our email list at seekgocreate.com so today we've had someone that i have wanted to connect with for a long time we have a mutual friend and we kind of kept skirting each other but we were finally able to connect and have a conversation and you get to listen in. We have Mark Appleyard as our guest. Mark has over 25 years of pastoral, church planning, and senior leadership coaching experience across 20 countries. And he's worldwide. We're gonna communicate about that because I think there's value in hearing about different cultures and what's going on in the world anytime we can in today's in today's environment. He's a published author, global conference speaker, and mentors some of the world's leading executives. He is also the founder of Another, which is a micro church movement. Mark, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thanks, Tim. It's an honor and a pleasure uh, to be able to connect up with you today, mate. Yeah, it, ha it has been a while. You know, our mutual friend, Ryan, I've seen you on mm -hmm. some email threads and Obviously, you pour into his life, and I love him and want him to succeed, and you've mm. had a big impact on his life. Maybe we'll talk about that in just a moment. I'm getting off, off track. My first question is usually, <laughs> what do you do? You know, elevator pitch or you know, whatever you want to mm. say. After I do the bios, I like to say, tell us in your words what you do. Yeah, I, I think if I could put it in really short terms, Tim, it would be that you know, my wife and I just strongly believe that God, through his people, can restore nations back to the fullness of his image. Um, that's just, we wake up in the morning and we just find new ways of doing that. And you know the expression of it at the moment comes through, uh, as you've already said, through coaching um, and working with uh, business leaders from small startup right through to senior executives of multi-billion dollar companies. Um, and then uh, micro churches, we, you know, we've pastored churches at every level from co-pastoring at a mega church level, right down to starting churches, to turning old churches around. Um, and then two years ago, we really felt that we were to shift the model um, substantially, sold our church building and uh, went to a micro model um, that was uh, online. So we were, we were well prepared for when COVID hit the scene. <laughs> we were. Yeah, you know, we, we went from being the weird kids on the block to the person everybody wanted to talk to. Uh, and just like that, it happened. <laughs> so you, you were the outcast and now you're the cool kid. Is that right? 
<laughs> Something like that. I don't think I'll ever be the cool kid, but less of the outcast. Let's maybe just land there. Well, I, I want to I dive in and discuss that because as I was doing a little bit of research and, and looking at what you guys are doing with the micro churches and also the, uh, the online, and I was thinking to myself exactly that, hmm, I wonder if the Lord was preparing for, for you for something. But I guess I want to do a follow-up question to what you said when, when you were kind of going over what you do. You mentioned restoring nations. So let's go big topic mm. before we start diving down. Yeah. We are in such an interesting time. And, you know, I, I, you hate to date these things because someone could listen to this well into 2021 or beyond. We're in fall of 2020 as we're recording. Elections are going on in U.S. Things are going around the world. Still in pandemic. When you use the term restoring nations. I know there's biblical connotations, but then there's also practical. Can you just, as we get started, I'm just going to let you talk to us about what you mean, since it's the foundation of what you do. What do you mean by restoring nations? I think the quickest and easiest way uh, without spending all of our time on that is that when we look at what Jesus did, the primary thing that he did was he revealed the Father. He didn't try and defend the Father. He didn't do anything like that. He just revealed the Father. So it's inspiring the people of God um, that are already impregnated, planted in, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the yeast in the dough, um, to, to be people who are, are, are revealers um, of the Father's heart, of the Father's love. And, and I think as, you know, if, if part of our little small piece in the grand mosaic of this thing called Christian ministry, our piece is to, to help um, uh, people of all levels of society to be able to shift that dial and shift that needle just a little bit to help them reveal the heart of the Father, the love of the Father, uh, right where they are. Well, we start to see that en masse. Well, now we start to see nations um, become to reveal more of who the Father is. Um, and so, that, you know, again, there's a lot of layers to that because we've got issues of control versus freedom. Um, you've got all sorts of issues that go on there. Uh, but, but fundamentally, at its core, that's what it looks like. So, so therefore, it starts with me. Um, you know, how do I reveal the Father's love um, in all of my interactions? And that takes a step back even further. How do I allow myself to be a receiver of the Father's love myself? Yeah, one of the things that I notice about myself, Mark, and, and it's interesting from hearing your, your intro is, you know, you operate in the business world, you operate in what we would consider the ministry world, and kind of bridge those together. Some, some people try to use mountain analogies, which I think are okay, but I, I, I actually think that we're one in the same, we're whole, <laughs> and sounds like you are 24-7 in these arenas. I, I have to be careful because I can actually begin feeling a little bit down about how well we're doing in that mm. area. So I'm going to ask you your thoughts in you know late 2020, with all that's going on, uh, if there was a report card, and fortunately God doesn't really have a report card for us, but we can evaluate what, how we're doing as far as the nations and the message and, and, and revealing the Father, how, how are we doing? <laughs> It's, it's a really, I mean, it's a very subjective answer because it's only related to our own experience, of course. So any answer we hope to give is, is very limited in its scope. Um, there's a couple of things. I think we're doing very well and there's indicators that we're doing very poorly. 
Um, and, and why do I say that? Well, I think uh, within the election cycle in any nation, that is the one time of the year where we have to hold the mirror up to ourselves. Um, the people on the stump are only reflections of the image we project. Um, here in America, George Washington wouldn't get a vote hardly these days because, but in his day, he, re he reflected the culture of his day. The people on the stump right now reflect the culture of our day. So we might say, we hate the politicking, we hate the this, we hate the that. Well, what we're saying is that actually we hate that about ourselves because they only reflect who we are. So, so for me, you know, things like campaign reform start right here. They don't start with trying to force other people or control other people or manipulate other people into patterns of behavior. It starts right here. So on that card, I look at it and we're at that four year cycle and I look and go, oh dear, oh dear, we're doing poorly. However, then I look at other things and, and the people that I get to connect with and, and what they're doing and where they're running in the world. Media doesn't cover that kind of stuff. And I think, oh yes, we're doing well. Yes, that's going good. Um, there are shifts. There are people being transformed. The, the image of God is being restored. Um, and I'm full of hope and expectancy. So, so I would say very good and very poorly all in the same breath. Um, but uh, but I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm always the person. I don't think there's a glass, so it's not half full or half empty. It just is. Um, and, and on any given moment, we get to reveal the heart of the Father as, in, in, the, in the best way that we can. So I look at it and just think, man, there is the greatest opportunity for hope and expectancy right now. Hearts that are hungry for love. Um, so therefore, the opportunity to be even better it has never been better than the opportunity that we have right now. Um, as it's been well said before, to take hold of the opportunity of a lifetime, you've got to take hold of it within the lifetime of the opportunity. That's it. That's it right now. The lifetime of the opportunity is in this moment to take hold of. Yeah. Do you see, you know, there's a word that popped into my head. And, you know, one of the things I love to do when I'm having conversations with someone like you with the spiritual foundation that you have is just to allow the Holy Spirit to bring up topics. And the word deception came to my mind because one of the things that I have just thought about is what are the layers of deception that we see that keep us from visualizing that hope and that encouraging word that we might have out there. And I know that I know that many of us as a coach, I know that you probably do that as a minister, you do that. But talk to us. I'd love to give your concept of, you know, what it, what we see in the world as it relates to the revealing of the father versus the deception of what most people or many people and, and include people that are followers of Christ. We've got listeners that I know that may not consider themselves Christians or followers. We welcome them. We love to, you know, for them to join us. But talk about deception versus hope. Mm, yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, I think what deception is, is it's a crooked line that's trying to declare itself straight. And, and mm. I think that's a, you know, perhaps a, a, a point of reference for, for the answer. Um, because really, the only way we can discern if something is deceptive or not is in alignment with Jesus, because Jesus himself says he is the truth. So when he said he is the truth, truth was no longer a concept. It was no longer a set of propositions um, or a propositional statement or an objective, yes, no, right or wrong. It was a person and had personality. Um, so, so really for me, it's, it's bringing myself into that place with Jesus and go, Jesus, what's your truth in this situation right now? Uh, and oftentimes I'll get an answer that I don't expect. He might be saying that the truth in this situation is you're believing a lie about yourself um, right now. 
Um, and therefore, that belief and that lie about yourself is causing to see this deception as a truth. So, you know, so for me, it's, it's an alignment with who he is. Um, because if I've got to find any sense of, of anchorage in this world, I, I can't go far past the, the one and only who declared himself as the truth. And, and he is the straight line against which I can measure if something else is crooked or not. Because deception will always seek to be a, be, is, a is always a crooked line that's seeking to make itself appear to be straight. Um, and therefore we go on and go, well, that's truth over here, or that's truth over there, or up there, or I'm left, or I'm right, or I'm center, or I'm whatever. Well, I want Jesus, because he's the one who says that this is truth. So therefore, the best person I can ask is him. And like I said, oftentimes we don't go near there because we know the answer is going to be more about how he sees us rather than the things in the world. So, Mark, I believe that this is foundational as we start talking about business, what mm. you're doing in ministry. And so I, I'm, I'm going to ask a question that I think some listeners might be asking, and mm. that is, how do you discern or know that straight line that Jesus has established? Mm. Because in, in our country, and I'm going to ask, because you've got an accent that is not from here. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. <laughs> but let's just look at in our country or first world or whatever you want to say. A lot of people would look at someone who mentions Jesus, who mentions Christianity, who mentions yep. God and say, you know, I don't really see you as being one that provides a good example of love or the father revealing the father. So uh, I, I'm going to ask you for that person wondering that. How do you know what that straight line is? And then we're going to get into some business and I want to learn about another yeah. and things like that. But this is probably foundational stuff here. It is exactly right. And, and really, it's the question that's poorly answered and and um, and people are poorly equipped to answer. And, and I, I can I can say that because I put my hand up as guilty as charged because many years in my ministry life, um, I was I was poorly equipped to answer that question for people and help them resolve the, the tension. Um, that exists. So, so fundamentally, and, and I can only answer it within the paradigm of, of my understanding of truth. Uh, and I fully respect other people um, have different paradigms for truth. I, I do respect that. This is my paradigm um, for truth, which is centered around the person of Jesus. It's Christocentric. Um, and my rationale, as I've already said, is that he's the one who personified truth. So for me, that's a pretty safe bet. Um, if I'm going to hitch my, my yes to truth that I hitch it, to him. So therefore, if I'm going to discover what is truth and what is not truth, apart from from that, you know, conversation with him, then I need to be um, hyper intentional in knowing the kinds of things that truth would say. I, would, I need to be hyper intentional about the inflections and tones of truth's voice. Um, I need I need to know the heartbeat of truth. So therefore, it's incumbent upon me um, to make sure that day after day after day after day after day, I build the rhythms of spending time at the feet of the one who calls himself truth. So that when he walks in the room and has something to say, I can go, oh, I know the sound of that voice. Uh, we've got lots of people professing to be Christian that spend little time with the master, proclaiming that they say all things that the master says. And I sit back and go, that's odd. That's not what I hear him say. Um, <laughs> it's just, and, and how do we do that? Well, you know, this thing here, the, the, the good book, um, you know, we, we don't have to guess what he says there. 
Uh, but if we can learn the inflections and tones from the time we spend in there with hyper intentionality to do so, then when we're away from there and we're starting to discern what's a crooked line and what's a straight line, we've got a much better point of reference to the, as Wesley called it, the inward witness of the spirit. Uh, this inward sense of knowing that you know that you know that God just spoke. Um, well, that only comes day after day away from the crowds, away from the people in the quietness of your own room, in the, in, in the quietness of that space, um, to intentionally, and I mean hyper-intentionality, spending time at the feet of the master. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I like to ask at times what people's, you mentioned the word rhythms. I like to ask some people what rhythms are, and I've found that I'm a very habit-oriented person and sometimes I get annoyed if some of my habits are broken, like, you know, get up at this number at this time, do certain things. And and I actually would like to be more spontaneous at times. I schedule spontaneity. I don't know if anyone else does that, but <laughs> but uh, can you can you just briefly I'd love for you to share just maybe some of those rhythms for you. You know, you, you, you showed the word there and. And, and listen, I know that not all of these are absolutely every day, but, but what are a few for you? And again, I think everyone needs to identify this personally for them, because what you just said is the power. If you don't spend time with someone, you mm -hmm. will not know their voice and know who they are. It's like, you know, your right. wife, Julie, that if you, if she walked in the room right now, I would guess, or if she yelled or said something, you'd know her voice because That's you're comfortable right. with her. My wife, Glory, I would. So give us just mm -hmm. a little bit of the habit that you have to develop that specific relationship, to know mm -hmm. that voice of the Father, and then I'm going to find out how an Australian ended up in the U.S. <laughs> Good God. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I adopt the, the, um, the tool that I learned from Dr. Wayne Cordero out in Hawaii uh, years ago, and that was the SOAP model of journaling, um, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Um, and again, without taking our whole time talking about that um, in Think, Speak, Live and in other sources, you can read about how to do that. Uh, but it's a very simple thing. There are four letters that will change the trajectory of your spiritual life if you employ them every day. Um, and so I, I journal um, regularly through that. Like, I mean, I couldn't sit here and say I've done it every day since I first learnt it. Uh, but I would say on average three or four times every week. Um, I would spend that time. So there's a, a real intentionality in that process. Um, and what I love about it is it's, it's highly applicable and it zeroes the laser pointer of Holy Spirit talking to me. So mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the observation point, um, I fill that full of me, my and I statements, mainly because this is not me saying, well, the church needs to, or Tim needs to, or my wife needs to, or my kids. No, no, this is Mark needs to right now. Um, this is the time to really zero that thing in. How am I going to change right now on the basis of the scripture I've been given, the observations that I've made in the application and the P, P being this prayer of appropriation. Uh, it's good to pray for the lost. It's good to pray for people who are sick and unwell. They're, they're very valid things to pray for, but this is not that time. 
Uh, this is the time to say, now I've got to put wheels on this thing that I've just been given a revelation on for me to change right now. So, and then I give it a title, I call it something and it goes in my reminders. So several times throughout the day that will just ping. And then once I see that title comes up, it's like a cow chewing its cud. All of that information comes up again and again and again. So four, five, six times throughout a day, I'm reminded of the sound of that voice. There's a, a familiarity that begins to emerge. Um, by being that type of in, intentional. Yeah, that's very good. How, how long have you been doing that? I, I, has that been years and years or recent or? Oh yeah, um, well, uh, let me just think. Um, five, six, eight. Uh, he's 25, let's take that. So 17 years now that would be. Um, so yeah, really started going after that big time when uh, our kids were mm. four, six and eight. That's my reference point. Um, and so, uh, and, and went on to, to coach and, and train them in, in how to do that as well. And, and that's a story for another day. Uh, but, but learning how to parent my kids um, in, in a way that actually aligned them to the, to the foot of the, of the master um, in, in a really powerful way that inspired them to want to. Um, and, and there's, you know, young adults now that can hear his voice, as, as, you know, pretty much as good as anybody can. That is excellent. That's a, a great reflection of the train them up in the way that they should go scripture. So you and I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit, but I, I actually believe we'll probably circle back to some of this later. But I, I do want to find out a little bit about Mark and Julie. You've just mentioned your kids. You've been in the States for a while. You have an accent. It's like this is I'm from the South. We can say this. You don't sound like you're from around here. <laughs> so right. so get, give us a little bit of a background on where where you were from, grew up and then how you kind of ended up where you are before we start diving into some business principles and leadership sure. principles for everyone. Well, I guess to, to say where I'm from, if I go about 1500 miles northeast, I actually start heading back. So I'm nearly as far away from where I started as I possibly could. I grew up on the, the southern tip of the Australian mainland. And uh, but when people say, you know, they're from the south, I go, no, that's not real south. Any further south where I come from, you actually fall off if you go any further south. Um, so, yeah, I'm from the very deep south um, of Australia. But uh, Victoria, Melbourne, for those who know the area, um, and uh, those who know it very specifically, a little area called Wilson's Promontory um, is the most southern tip. I was about 20 minutes from there. It's where I spent all my growing up years in dairy farming community. Um, so, yeah, without, without sort of spending, uh, going too deep dive, let me just think. Um, didn't become a believer till my late teens. In fact, I didn't even know Jesus had anything to do with Easter until that first Easter after um, I accepted Jesus. Um, so, and yet I'd gone to a small rural Anglican church once per month with my family, but there was just no gospel, um, spoken back then. And so, yeah, it was a, so I really had a, a almost a zero starting point. Uh, my wife, very different. She's got like Christian lineage. That's very strong and deep. Um, so whenever anyone's got an old Testament question, I send them to her. <laughs> She's got a much better handle than what I could learn in a lifetime on that. So, um, but yeah, so, so I grew up from that perspective. I did my apprenticeship with Australia's biggest private company as an electrician um, and then ran a small electrical subcontracting business. So for me, that was you know very much how the business side started to come into it. Um, gosh, again, without going into all the details, ended up in ministry probably in our early 20s. Um, and, uh, but was always co-pastoring, um, always wanted to 
uh, go into the world I was encouraging others to go into as well. So I subcontracted by choice. I was part-time by choice and, uh, and did it that way. Um, so yeah, we, we, um, we were in far north Queensland. We helped to, um, well, I wasn't really pastoring a church there. I was more an intern and learning. Um, and then from there, we came down to the Gold Coast, which is the midpoint on the east coast of Australia, um, where we helped to pioneer a church that just grew exceptionally quickly. Uh, ended up building a 600-seat auditorium in three days with 450 people from around the world. Uh, people got saved on the building site. It was just incredible. Uh, but didn't really come into an encounter with the spirit-filled life till I moved back to Melbourne and uh, where I pastored a very small conservative church and at the same time the Lord brought across a mentor um, who was uh, one of the most uh, probably influential charismatic leaders in the city of Melbourne at the time who became a dear friend and mentor um, and then just started to open up the world um, in different ways. So, so yeah, that's sort of, I guess, a little bit of the, of the story. And then uh, while I was there, um, I was given a book by uh, Wayne Cordero, again, actually his name will probably come up a few times, so just that was very, uh, in, I guess, the, the, the transition of life to where we are now, to, where we, to uh, what we were doing. He was one of the hinge moments in that, um, and he came out to us to sit and, and learn from him, um, and then had a chance to go out to Hawaii and uh, do a leadership practicum there. Um, where I met uh, Pastor Law McNaney from uh, Concord, North Carolina. And uh, he and I just became very fast friends. And um, two years later, here we are. Uh, from there, that was in 2010, we moved across. And uh, he'd just be, yeah, we're just a very, very dear brother and friend and, and, and managed to uh, serve on his staff at Crossroads United Methodist Church, uh, pioneer another campus of that church uh, about an hour away where we are. Um, then it became its own standalone church and uh, the, the Methodists actually set us free with the church, blessed us on our way because they said it's a lot of things, but it sure isn't Methodist. <laughs> uh, we had just such a focus on the local business community. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, in that process, then Anathan uh, was birthed and born. And uh, yeah, so again, 35,000 foot view of a, a lot of things yeah. that happened. Well, a couple things there. First of all, I've spent, we, we lived in Melbourne for a little over a month and it's mm -hmm. a beautiful, beautiful city and beautiful part of the world. So you, you are correct. It is more South than Southern <laughs> here in the United <laughs> States. You are true Southern. Unfortunately, United States, our paradigm is there's us and then the rest of the world is somewhere out there. So, <laughs> But uh, there, there's one thing that I want to drill down on. I think when I was looking through, I don't know if it was your LinkedIn or whatever, I saw this interesting pattern from those few years that I think you were early on in your business world and also ministry. And it was like electrician, pastor, electrician, ministry. And I, I'm always fascinated with the balance between, not even balance, but the, the life of someone who's in business mm -hmm. and ministry. And here's the reason I'm asking this, Mark, and maybe you can, you can even speak to this. In many circles, when you start getting around church world or seminaries or Bible schools, the ultimate in life is full-time ministry. Mm. And then there's everybody else. Obviously, right. you've been business from the beginning, You are, which sounds a, a lot like the book of Acts and the church, actually, to me. 
but you know, hey, sorry about the snarkiness there, but it does sound very scriptural to be working and doing ministry. But talk to me about that because I know that we have a lot of listeners and myself included. They are wanting to do whatever full force for whatever you know their spiritual walk is. But right. then they also feel a calling in a business realm. Talk mm -hmm. about that. I don't even know if the right word is balance, blend, whatever it is. Tell us about that. I think um, hmm. what I'm about to say is controversial, but I've worn enough. Ooh, I love that. I love, I love that. That's what I want. <laughs> I actually believe that pastors are not the most influential spiritual leaders oh. in the world. I'm sorry to say it, but there it is. I don't care what size pulpit you've got. God bless you in your ministry. It's valid ministry, but it's only one piece of the grand mosaic. Because what I find more often than not, and again, I hold my own hand up as guilty as charged on this, is that we tend to, as pastors, hold the mortgage on what ministry is. And unless we can control that which comes unto us, we, we're reluctant to validate it as ministry. Um, it needs to come under the, you know, the auspices of the local church. Um, I'm sorry, that's nonsense. I just do not believe that at all. I've stepped way away from that. In fact, I, what I find is that I spent way too many years trying to contend for God's favor over a town, city or nation. When in actual fact, that was never my role. My role was to exalt the Lord, equip the saints, empower them for ministry. What does that mean? Identify those who already have favor over town, cities and nations, come alongside of them and release them to run. So, so I, I want to smash the, this, this idea that, that there is ministry and there is workers' ministry. It's all ministry. And not one is more valid than the other. In actual fact, in terms of its impact and influence, I posit that the person in business is the greater um, influencer because they already have demonstrated favor over towns, cities and nations uh, because they're doing commerce and trade within those cities and regions. Um, so for me, that, that's been a, a shift, a painful shift of self-realization first. Um, and then I've, I've increasingly become a popular and an unpopular voice in this space um, because I refuse to back down from that, um, quite frankly. I just, I just see it again and again and again. And I'm in, I see it as increasingly sad when I see pastors building their own thingdom instead of God's kingdom. And, uh, and that just, I think that's the antithesis of what the calling is. The calling is to, is to equip and release, not, not to build your own thingdom. Wow. Okay. So that's why I love you so much because, and while we're talking, I have been saying similar things for some time because one of the things that I noticed, Mark, is that someone who has some skill in a business, trade, business, whatever it is, they go into a church, might get saved. I was saved in a business environment, so I don't, I don't necessarily believe that that's the only place that one can, can meet meet their creator but uh and then the first thing that typically does happens is there's this pull to go into full-time ministry or to think right. that so i could tell by the passion in your voice that this is a topic for you and I, we have to be careful or we'll start yelling not at each other but just yelling <laughs> to anyone who will listen because i'm in i'm in total agreement with that and I've, I've even said similar things. Most people are out there building their own kingdom instead of the kingdom. You said thingdom, which is awesome. So, so that obviously has had a big impact on the way you've developed your business and, right. and your organization. So I'm going to let you keep going because I think that it's, it, I think that you are looking for solutions 
to what mm. we just brought up. So tell us, tell us what's evolved and then we'll start moving into where it's at now and start letting people know what that looks like. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that, if I could try and find one point, um, when you've got the, the, you know, Colossians, let's maybe just start there for a second. If we go to Colossians, we see in Colossians chapter one, I believe, uh, this beautiful statement, and in many Bibles it has written at the top, the supremacy of Christ. And we see that, you know, Jesus is the, the creator of all things. All things are created by him and for him. Through him, all things were made. Um, he is the creator of all the thrones and authorities and powers and principalities. And, and you know, you just your mind just goes when you start to think of, of this is who this cat was. I mean, seriously? And then, you know, and just over in uh, Matthew 28, he's, he's, he makes this incredibly outrageous statement that all authority has been given to him. I mean, that is arguably the most extreme statement in all of humanity ever. All authority has been given to me. When, the, when someone who is the all authoritative one, who has created the heavens and the earth, of all that is seen and that is unseen, gets asked, what is the greatest commandment? It's probably good for us to shut up and listen very closely. Um, and so what does he go on to say? You're expecting this big mystery of the universe, but he draws on the Old Testament and pulls it into the present when he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, uh, all your strength. Uh, and go, oh, and the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and so we look at that and go, all right, so no, now no longer is love a topic to be preached on. No longer is love a value to put on our, our values board on the walls of our churches or in our offices. Love has just become the central thesis around which everything else orbits. Love has become the, the lens through which we view everything that comes our way. Um, that there is nothing outside of love that is more, more important. It is, the, it is the central orbit around, a central nucleus around which everything else orbits now. Uh, the moment the one who created the heavens and the earth who said he is the all authority said this is the greatest commandment and the second is like it. Um, we, do, we did this teaching called the divine love triangle which we can talk about maybe another time but, but, it, but it really sits at the center. Why do I start there? Is because the antithesis of love is control. The love doesn't seek to control. Love, love can't control and still be love. It doesn't do that. It's not what love does. Um, love gives away. I mean, in fact, you want to know what love is? Go to that beautiful opus on love in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And if, ever, if, if Mark ever had the chance to make one alteration to the structure of Scripture, it would be 1 Corinthians 14, one where Paul says, After 13, therefore let love be your highest goal. I think that sort of should fit into 13 as well. Um, but there it is. And I've had lots of goals, Tim. But I, I, I have to say that not always has love been the highest. Um, Mark's outcomes have been highest goal many times. Um, and Mark's desires to see A, B, C and D done have been a higher goal than love. But if love is the highest goal, then everything else has to become subservient to that. So control is the antithesis of love. Um, if, for love to be love, it has to operate in a, in a culture of freedom. So the exercising of people's freedoms starts with the exercising of my freedom, and my freedom is to love without need of control. So what does it start to look like? Well, in Think, Speak, Live, the, the book I had the honor of writing there just a short while ago, I, I call it the DPR paradigm, and I call it de decreases, polices, and releases. And, and decreases of those who don't submit to the all authority of Jesus 
um, nor do they access the power of the Holy Spirit when Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait where you'll receive power. Um, so there's no submission and there's no power. So they actually decrease a revelation of the image of God, even though they call themselves Christian. Uh, Polices are those who submit to the all authority but don't access power. And what they do is they put up sets of rules around them to bring everybody into relationship with so they can measure and go, well, I know I'm doing the good things, but they're actually trying to, to do supernatural ministry in just a, a natural um, sphere so therefore they try to manipulate behavior to look like the supernatural when it's only the natural and so they say well we got this many baptized this year and 20 people went on missions and this many in small groups and blah 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 blah, blah. but what happens is is you become a policer of the rules um, and so you, you're more you're more expert at putting people in relationship with the rules than in relationship with the redeemer when you're a policer because you're submitting problem with submission to the all authority of Jesus, but you're not drawing on the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. But then you've got releases and releases submit themselves to the all authority of Jesus and access the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, it's interesting and, and by no accident that Paul talks about the gifts after he's just spoken all about love, because love is the, is the very things that the gifts are there to reveal, the love of the Father. Uh, they're a vehicle for revelations and encounters with his always perfect love. So now we have God super partnering with our natural for a supernatural proposition. And that's got nothing to do with control, but creating atmospheres for people to, to exercise their freedoms within. Yeah, that. All right. So this is the first thing that popped into my mind. So I'm going to ask this is... And, and I like to ask maybe on behalf of a listener, all right, all that sounds good, but practically in my business, in my day to day, what, mm -hmm. what does that look like from a practical standpoint? Mm. Because very similar to you, my command, my instruction, my quiet time with the Lord, he reminds me, I'm an engineer by training. I'm a business guy. I'm looking at my goals. I'm looking at results. I'm looking at all that. He goes, I want you to do one thing, and that is share love. And so my question I'm going to ask you is, what does that look like for a businessman that might be listening for a, for a lady that's starting a company and also runs a family? Mm. What give us some practical because I know you've got a lot of experience mm. with this. So share that with us. Yeah, I think the first question is, is do you want to run a business or a kingdom business? And they're not right or wrong or good or bad, but they are different. Um, so, so that's the first question a person needs to, to answer if they if they want to run a business, then KPIs will be the, the, the main metric of success. Excuse me, I just got something in my throat. Then KPIs will be your primary metric of success. But by nature of what they are, um, again, I would posit that they're the antithesis of the kingdom. Why? Because that central, central letter P, performance. Again, performance is the antithesis of love. How well does it work for, for you in your marriage when you say to your wife, now wife, I'm going to love you and I'm going to re respond to you if you do A, B, C, D, E, F and G. Well, that's not love, that's manipulation is what it is. And, and lots of relationships sadly are built around that. But if you want to truly experience a love relationship, performance has to go out the window. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a way down the list. doesn't mean we shouldn't do things, but it's way down the list. Um, and so a business will have KPIs. A kingdom business will have KPIs, but they're way down the list because it is important to run a, a successful business and pay your taxes and make money um, and employ people and all of those good things. And we need to have metrics that we can measure so to know that we're doing it responsibly, but it shouldn't be the primary metric. 
I believe the primary metric of a kingdom business should be KRIs or key relationship indicators. In other words, how does this business start to um, facilitate encounters with a person's, uh, uh, facilitate encounters with the father's love? So the primary goal in interacting in business is actually nothing to do with money. I'm building a vehicle that's going to go after people's hearts, believing that when I go after people's hearts, wallets have a habit of following hearts. Um, and so therefore, in, in this interaction, in this meeting, in this phone call, in whatever, how can I find a way to call out some life? How can I find a way to, to speak life into someone? How can I see the real person as the primary goal rather than how can I manipulate them to get this deal? Uh, that's a kingdom business and kingdom business with KRIs. We, we looked at four. There's probably a whole heap more, but for the sake of, of writing a book that I was only 200 pages, not 400 pages, we stuck with four. And we looked at the, the honor, respect, dignity and creativity. So honor, first of all, in a, in a kingdom business is recognizing who I am. In my case, Mark is a son of the most high God. Or if it's a Mary, she's a daughter of the most high God. It's, re it's recognizing who I am. It's not something I do to somebody. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a recognition of identity. Respect is then me recognizing who you are. Now, if you are a, a believer, you too are a son of the most high God or a daughter, or at least you are an image bearer of an always perfect father. And I respect that. Don't care what your behavior is, even if your behavior seeks to deny that, I choose to see that in you. And so respect is very high. Um, the, one of the least spoken words in Christendom, sadly, from behind pulpits is the next word, which is dignity. So if honor is recognizing who I am and respect is recognizing who you are, dignity is protecting who you are. I want to protect your identity. So now conflict resolution in my staff has a totally different goal. It's restoring you back to the fullness of your image, not about who's right or wrong. Um, I've heard it said one time, it was a, one of the most brilliant um, management statements. And a, a person had a, a staff member that went squirrely, um, treated another staff member poorly. So this friend of mine calls the staff member in and said, Fred, Judging by your behavior, I believe in your future around here more than you do today. Let's talk about that because the Fred I see is not the Fred that turned up. Um, can we just talk about that rather than what do you think you're doing? You're on remand. You're this, you're that. Now let's restore the guy back to his image. Can we, it doesn't mean we don't deny he did bad behavior. Totally different rationale behind it. Um, and then creative creativity is now releasing who you are. So when you've got these things of honor, respect and dignity happening in the room now. Well, people are no longer threatened by who's got the best idea. We actually want to call out the creativity in each other and release it in the room. And now the company starts breaking ground in areas that we would never have thought of before because we're operating from a position of kingdom freedom instead of fear and competitiveness um, based on performance. Yeah, that is good. I, I didn't realize how rich that answer was going to be because I actually now I want to ask you on each one of those, but I know that we probably don't have the bandwidth and time to do that currently. So one of the things towards the end, I might ask you for some additional resources we can direct people to, mm. to get more information sure. on that. So I appreciate that because all right. So, so to me, what you just discussed, we've talked about business. We've talked about background. We've talked about really what our, what our purpose is, big picture versus just small picture and with our goals. To me, it seems like this starts to come into play 
with the project. I think I pronounced it wrong earlier. I think I said another, but I think you said anything. And I don't think that's just yeah, that's a, a structural uh, where I'm in the world. So but next thing I would love to do, first of all, tell me how to pronounce it, pronounce it correctly. And, uh, <laughs> and then also give us a little bit on that name. And then I'm going to really ask more about what that is hmm. and how divine it is that it was in place at the early stages of 2020. So for, talk about the name and how it came to be first. Yeah, so so Anathan is found in John 3, 3, the, the beautiful scripture where Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night and asks that question, which is very curious for a religious leader. What must they do to inherit the kingdom of God? You would think he's got that one squared away, but, but apparently not. Um, a man who's built structures and systems, but recognizes he's just built a cage of his own making. Um, and the very things that he was, you know, um, expecting to happen weren't happening because God had come right angles at him and it had caught him off guard. And I, I see the most sincere person in the entire New Testament as Nicodemus, um, a man who is truly wrestling. In fact, if you've seen The Chosen or if you haven't, go and see it. I think they depict his character brilliantly in that. Um, outside of Jesus himself, my favorite character because this internal struggle. He comes to Jesus in the night, which again, we know um, he didn't want to be seen by his peers and he's, he's trying to, to nut this thing out. Um, and Jesus says this, you know, rather peculiar, gives this rather peculiar response. Well, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Um, the word again is the word anathem and it means from above. Um, and so what does it mean to live from heaven to earth? The Lord said to me some years ago, Tim, he said, as the body of Christ, and he said, and he was actually talking to me uh, about, about me, not so much the, the broader body, but he said, you're striving to live toward a place that you should be living from. Um, you're living to it like as though heaven's a future a promise. It's actually a present reality. And, and so therefore you're getting your future promises and your present realities all muddled up. Um, and, uh, and so he said, what, what if you lived on, like on earth as it is in heaven? And I said, well, that can't be possible. He goes, well, it is possible because in Ephesians, you see that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's not a future promise. It's a present reality. Um, and so as I started to wrestle with that, then, then Anathan was birthed out of this, helping people think, speak and live on earth as it is in heaven, in their personal life, their family life and their business life. So that just so really that just connects it. You know, I I'd never done a word study on that, so that is that is fascinating. And so that was the birthing of it. Give us just some of the actual the logistical birthing. I think it's been around for a number of years. Hmm. And and so what did that look like as it was forming up? What were some of the early stages? And hmm. then we'll talk more about what it's doing now. Yeah, well, I think what, what the fair statement is, Tim, is I'm never the smartest bloke in the room and I didn't come up with it. Um, I think that's fair to say. And that should be hope to everybody out there because we don't have to stress about being the smartest bloke in the room. Um, so, um, yeah, for me, it found me. Um, I'd been pastoring for a good while. I'd been working in a local business community. Um, and again, we can talk about that another time. It's another story all for itself, but have been working in the local business community. Um, ended up out at a Heaven in Business conference um, at Reading, California, um, where the Lord connected me up with a, a CEO of a large company, um, uh, international company, and uh, through a release of a prophetic word that I did not want to give. Um, frankly, I did not want to give it. Um, and yet the Lord really just got a hold of me and finally I thought, you know what, what have I got to lose? The guy's never going to see me again anyway here. I'm going to 
follow, you know, 1 Corinthians 14. Is it supportive? Is it encouraging? Is it comforting? And put the word through that lens. I did my very, very best that I could. Send it through and, um, and, and all that to say is that uh, the, the, the person came back and said that not many people know this. Um, when can we talk? God's got my attention. Um, and that really was the birthplace. The, the, uh, the gentleman became a real person of peace uh, for us. And um, before we knew it, we were literally traveling the world, um, uh, speaking into the lives of people that I would never have even dreamed that the Lord would put us before. Um, and arguably, um, it was, some of those would be in the, probably the top 10 most influential um, Christian business leaders in the world, even as we speak. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, I, I, all I can say is that, that God was the one who put it there because, you know, on, on the educational front, I only did to grade 10 at school. I didn't even fully complete that uh, before I, I went on um, into actually joined the Royal Australian Navy first for a year as a 16 year old. Um, and then found my apprenticeship with uh, Australia's biggest private company, BHP. Um, and then I took eight years to do a three-year ministry degree because I hate being stuck inside four walls. I'm not that guy. Doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm just not that guy. Um, and so, so you know, to go from that to suddenly where we are, and, and as I think you said at the start, we've worked out just recently, we've been active now in around uh, just on 20 countries um, in the last five years. Um, as we went down that journey, it was just that there were some common things that were coming out to us was people that didn't know each other and no respecter of nation or socioeconomic status even, that business leaders were leaving the, the uh, institutional body of Christ um, in pretty large numbers. They were just saying, why would I turn up on Sunday to, to see someone a quarter of a mile away from me talk to me about stuff that really isn't relating to me when I turn up on Monday? And I'm already doing ministry in my business that in fact is having greater impact than anything I'm seeing right here. But they won't validate it unless I serve on their board or give all my money to the church. Um, then they'll validate it. Um, but unless I do that, then I'm, and, and I'm hearing this again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I want this revelation. This is going to cost me this revelation because I'm the guy that's still trying to build one of those things that they're all leaving. And I thought, well, okay, here we go. We've got... A number of different opportunities and, and things we've got to look at. Um, one of them is I could stand at the front door of the church and yell really loud at all business people just to straighten up and come back. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, or I could go and yell at all the pastors and say, hey, we've got it all wrong. Let's all change. And then they'll all change and everybody. No, that's not going to happen. Or we could look at, it at an, another alternative. We looked at it this way, that we were pastoring a church at the time and it was like a a train station, if we can think in the analogy of trains for a moment, it was like a train station of which I had one foot firmly planted on a platform. And we met in a geographical location um, in a place here in Wedding, uh, Wesley Chapel, North Carolina. Um, and Anathem was becoming a train that was moving increasingly fast. And I had one leg on that train as well, my wife and I both. And, and we both know if you stay in that position, you're going to hurt yourself in a way that you really don't want to be hurt um, because that's a really untenable position. So do we take our foot off the train of Amethon and just go back to the local church? That didn't feel right. Do we take the foot off the local church and just jump on the Anathan train? Well, that actually didn't feel right either, as we still felt we were called to pastor. Um, or do we re-engineer the platform so that it fits on the tracks? Let's maybe look at that. So we did a massive deconstruction. We sold our church building, 
totally deconstructed everything um, that we'd built around ministry and then got back to this central thesis and said, what if we built something that truly had love as the nucleus around which everything else orbited? And then how would we do that in a way that hit every time zone in the world? Um, and that's what we went about building. Yeah, you, you bring up a word that I've heard quite often and I don't know that I totally understand it, but the word is deconstruction. There's a lot of people in and around faith world that's using that, throwing it around. And, and what it says to me is kind of the theme of what we do here is kind of like redefining success. What really are we defining as not necessarily the goal, but what does all of that mean to us? And there was a lot in what you just said, but I, I want to ask about the actual timing of it. And, and especially, I think that was a few years ago, if I remember correctly, you could share that. But, you know, we're in a time right now, Mark, where churches all over the world have been shut down. So mm -hmm. many of these pastors, these leaders, they have, you know, we are hopeful that financially they're able to do okay, but they've got mortgages, mm -hmm. they've got buildings, they've got staffs right. that have right. been equipped to just yeah. allow people to walk through their doors once or twice a week, and that's the way they've been operating. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about timing and what that means for you and Anathan in the world that we're in today. I don't like the word new normal. I think there's a reset, a restructuring right. that's mm -hmm. going on. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. so um, the, the, the journey is always a painful one. Deconstructing always hurts because you're usually pretty happy with what you've built. Um, so for us, it was very much, again, getting back to knowing the sound of the master's voice. If we didn't know that, then how would we know what to do? And given that we were doing an extreme thing at a time when, even though we're in Charlotte, this is Billy Graham's hometown. Um, you know, this is, this is one of the holes in the buckle of the Bible belt right here. He's actually buried 20 minutes from where we're talking right now, him and his wife. I mean, it's just, um, the, the, in this city, the bigger the church, the more your success. So the metric of success is very clearly defined and it's been that way for generations. Um, so to have a church building is a status symbol as a pastor. Um, you know, you take pride in your church building. It's all the, you know, all these sorts of things. And I was, I was drilled in that. And we had a church building. One day I'm sitting down and, he, and he, the Lord just said to me as clearly as anything, I was journaling and he said, Mark, do you want to change the metric of success? And so I, my response was very immediate. And I said, well, that assumes something. And he goes, what's that? I said, it assumes that I've got the wrong metric. <laughs> he goes, I want to ask you again, do you want to, do you want to um, you know, change the metric of success? I said, well, what metrics do I have? He said, well, your metrics are similar to many others, and that is budgets and butts on seats. And, I, and my immediate response was, well, no, it's not. I love people. I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever else. And he goes, all right, two quick hypotheticals. He said, hypothetical number one. He said, your church is full on Sunday, and you've got your budgets out the window, but no one really you know, has a massive transformation uh, but you're driving home, he said, I want you to take a bit of a feelings inventory on the trip home. How are you feeling? Okay, hypothetical number two. He said, you can, um, you know, there's, there's a handful of people you could throw a missile down the church and you wouldn't hit anybody. Your budget's through the floor, but someone got their knee healed and someone inquired about him. Um, and he goes, you're driving home, how are you feeling? And suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, he's right. Um, again, mirror, it's painful. Hold that mirror up really hurts, but I, I dared to hold it up. Um, and hold it up to my own soul. Can't hold it up to anybody else, but I could hold it up to mine. And I said, all right, what metric do you want me to have? He said, the only metric you're responsible for is did you facilitate an encounter between God and people? And he said, that's the metric of success. Do you want that? Well, my obvious response was, of course I want that. He goes, well, get ready. You're going to lose people. 
And, and I'm sitting there thinking, this cannot be a combat. This cannot be the Lord. Um, but, you know, I, I said, really, guys, you're going to lose people because they have an expectation in this city of what an experience of church looks like. You will lose people. But I said, but the more they encounter you, surely that'll mean more people. He goes, no, you will lose people. He said, I lost people all the way to the cross. Um, I died on that cross alone and only a few people gathered around. Um, he said, so you will lose people. And he was right. We just went down like Gideon's army. That's what it felt like. Um, and we were seeing this, the supernatural happening. We were seeing amazing things happen. But down we went. And then we finally got down to probably about, I don't know, on a good day, maybe 40, 25, 30, something like that. And the Lord said, okay, now it's time. Sell the building. Um, I've got a, got a model for you. Went on a 40 days of fasting. And um, the, the, the first day of the 40 days of fasting was just insane. Uh, the Lord gives me this revelation. You're going to see things like you've never seen before. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm all about. The next 39, bring them on. And it is crickets after day day one 39 days of crickets and i'm thinking what is this was this purging going on inside of me again of what success was and it was just so painful the process of taking the bricks out and deconstructing but continuing on this 40 days of fasting and our residual army of gideon's army were on the same fast <clears throat> pardon me and then day 40 i got up and i came in very dejected very disheartened thinking what a disgrace um, we're going to have to walk away with our tail between our legs. This is bad. I mean, really bad. And just like a fire hydrant, it just came, the revelation of what to do. And I remember going outside and I shared with Julie what seemed like a half-hour conversation. And the next thing we know, it was dinner time. And, and we honestly felt like we'd been transported out of, of the natural uh, for, a, for an extended period of time because it felt like half an hour. And we, and we looked and gone, no, that cannot be right. Um, that the, the day had entirely passed as the Lord just was downloading to us both what this thing would look like and, and getting the blueprints um, to build what we were building. So that, that was um, that, that whole process it took place. Um, we, we effectively launched March 4th, two and a bit years ago. So we're about two and a half years into that now. Um, and we've now got microchurches, I believe, in five countries. Um, and we've got conversations in several more at the moment as well. Um, and I mean, we, in terms of those that are connecting with us, um, we just did um, some um, metrics of, of looking over that of, uh, of August and September. Uh, August, I believe we hit 10,500 over August and September we hit 15,000. So we increased 50% August to September. And that's coming from being in a single geographical location um, on a hill to just suddenly it's just boom, boom, boom. Now, not all of those are in microchurches. Um, but but they're the connections that are now happening. Uh, we developed an app, um, but we didn't develop it. Sorry, we, we, we used the platform of Subsplash, but we literally just went deep dive on putting that together, engineering it um, in a way that would put church in your pocket. Um, and so uh, we, we've put that together. Um, it's now going incredible um, and going great guns. And yeah, and then we developed a system for training up microchurch leaders, um, coaching system, all, all of those things as well. Um, for that to work. Um, but yeah, so we, we're only looking at probably two and a half years from, from you know, 35, maybe 40 people um, to where it is right now. One thing that uh, we hear a lot in, I'll say church circles, is for such a time as this, you know, people will use that as a, a motto and things like that. But do you believe that with what is going on, that, that, that the Lord used you, that you, you received this revelation, you have built this structure with him and others, 
that that it is for such a time as this when we have seen worldwide that, you know, when will some of these open up? We don't know. I mean, I believe we're heading for more lockdowns at the time of recording this. You know, we're, we're probably seeing a reset. Uh, it's, it's difficult to visualize 10,000 people in a room anytime in the near future at the time of recording this. Right. Hopefully I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. timing is, you know, are, you, are, you, are you positioned? You feel well about where your position, where the Lord has positioned you? I, yeah, I do. I, I feel well about that. And, and certainly in terms of a, a model for, um, you know, restoring nations back to, to God's image, I, I can't think of a, a model that I'd prefer to be building right now. But, but to say it's such a time as this, I think that's a byproduct. That's not wasn't the goal. Um, the, the thing that really motivated us, Tim, was, and this is where the revelation came, was that day 40. I was sitting in front of my computer and I called up the, the worldometer and I just sat there and, and probably two hours of just probably sitting there. And, and I mean, I just started weeping as I'm looking at people who are checking out and those that are checking in and looking at, the, at the, just the whole growth of world population. And I'm sitting there going and I'm going, this is what heaven sees. They don't see systems and styles and forms and norms and the latest trends in worship. And they don't see it. This is what they see. They see those that are checking out of this world and those that are checking in and they're seeing a population growth. This is the perspective of heaven. And then it suddenly dawned on me. I have, again, I've, I've been in a co-pastor at a mega church level with thousands and, I, and I've planted from the ground up with Julie and I and three kids and, and, and many things in between. And I sat there and I've been to so many conferences and events with phenomenal speakers and leaders in the Christian faith and all that. The elephant in the room that no one is talking about is scalability. That's the elephant in the room. Our very best efforts aren't making a dent in the population growth as it's ticking along. Um, We spend billions here in America and statistically the church is still going backwards. Come on, can't somebody have this conversation for goodness sake? So so for us, the, 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 the driving force behind was we've got to find a more efficient model. Um, I can start another micro church like that and it doesn't cost me a red cent to start another one now. Um, our budget is so small compared to what it used to be. I was on a call with a business leader actually in Australia this last week, and he's, he's been on elders, an elder in a very large church before and a very successful business leader. <laughs> he goes, I don't know if you realize it, but I think you may have found one of the most efficient models of ministry in all the world right now. He goes, this is insane how this thing works. Um, and he said, you, he said, I can see how you don't have to spend another cracker on your budget to keep multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. I know full well as, as planting a campus of another church in that first two years, if you can do it for under 300 grand to get 250 to 300 people in a room, that's considered success. Of those 250 to 300 people in a room, most of them have come shuffled from another church. And you said, oh, goodness. Sake. So for us, anyway, for us, for us. <laughs> The, um, the motivating factor was overcoming the scalability problem. Um, for such a time as this, I think it's a byproduct. The main issue is, are we solving the scalability issue? And that's the thing that drives us every day. Um, as we look at restoring nations back to the image of God, to that fullness of his image, what's the most efficient way of doing that? Um, well, we can tack left and right, up, down. Without the, the Lord gave us three words. He said, whatever you build, I want it to be fast, nimble, and very, very good. 
Um, it's got to be fast, nimble and very, very good. It needs to be able to move at rapid speed. It needs to tack left and right on a dime and it shouldn't lose quality in the process. Um, so, yeah, as we look at all of those things all put together and boil it down, that's, that's where we came up um, with the microchurch model that we have. Yeah, that, that's, that's good. And all of that is, is such great. And again, whether there was a, um, a lot of uh, insight into what was going to go on in the world. I mean, I, we are going through a restructuring of what's happening. And so with that, kind of one of my last questions here, because we're, we're butting up against time, I do want to ask you about some of the business solutions coaching before we finish up. But before that, I, I, I've got to ask this question because I believe that the Lord has shown you some things in your quiet time. And that is the future of, I don't even say traditional church. There are many people right now that are that are having anxiety a lot of these are believers having anxiety about not being able to go every sunday and meet with whoever there are obviously a lot of leaders in those areas that are dealing with it some are adjusting well but they're really rearranging they're not really disrupting and making incredible change can you with the view you have with the quiet time you spent with the lord with your your business with all the the resources that you have. Can you give a prediction? I don't know if it's a prediction. I don't know if it's prophetic. I don't know if it's just your thoughts, your views of six months from now, 12 months, 36 months from now of what it might look like as we attempt to restore nations at that micro level of local church, local body, people gathering. Can you do that for us? I think you can, actually. Yeah, I, 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 with a measure of accuracy, that's always, that, that's, that's hard to, to quantify. But I mean, um, I, would, I would certainly resonate with the findings, the latest findings out of Barna's research, um, where he's saying that about 30% of people are saying they won't be back in church again. I think that would be a, a pretty fair estimate. Um, they're, they're those that, that may have gone for a whole host of different reasons that there's, you know, there's reasons for going to church, some there to go after the presence of God, some to go after the heart of God, some to go after the benefits of God. Um, the, the benefits of God usually is about your 30%. So that's no surprise that they would sift out of the system. So I think that first and foremost, that, that adjusts budget, um, immediately. So I think we're going to see that, um, you know, and again, uh, this is just a, you know, a, a perception, but uh, my perception, but I think we're going to see reduced church staffs as a result of that. We're going to have to see churches that run a lot leaner than what they ran. Um, they're going to have to look at things of what actually is really important. Um, they're, they're going to have to adjust what does status actually look like. I mean, churches have been opening, um, and I've heard it directly. Where, well, I'm afraid that, that, that my people are going to go to the church down the road that's just opened. Um, and so we've got to open. And I think I, I can't even go near that. Um, but it just, you know, the motivation again for, for why are we doing things? Um, so there is, I, I can't remember the, there's one in five, I think was the research was, was suggesting we'll actually close its doors. I think that's pretty accurate. I think we'll see a 20% decline, um, of churches that actually physically are open. Um, I think as well, what, well, this is where I, I've come into the equation is there's a, just like that credibility given to an online model. 
Um, we were proving for five years before this whole COVID thing kicked up that discipleship online, virtual discipleship, was just as impactful, just as powerful as being in a room together. And people were poo-pooing me right at the beginning, going, no, 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 it's not. It's the can't be. It's whatever. And I'm actually showing them the measurements of people who have gone through that and the greater impact they're having in the world. Um, well, all the, just like that, suddenly it was valid. Isn't that curious? Um, because now the leaders of the Christian church going, well, we've got to go to an online model. And now suddenly it's valid again, the whole, <laughs> but we, we, yeah. Um, so, so focus and attention on what is a small group model. Um, I think there'll be a, you know, an adjustment towards that. Um, and there'll be many expressions of it, but I also think there's validation in the body of Christ gathering together in large crowds. Um, I don't think that'll go away. I don't, I don't think it should go away. Um, I don't think it's an either or. I think the day of a both and has finally been given proper audience. Um, you know, I, I became an expert of drawing a large crowd. I could, with my eyes closed on this piece of paper, I could scribble you out and order a service that would just go bang, boom, whistles and bells. I could do it. Um, it's valid. It's right there. But it, it's just, that's just not my piece of the puzzle anymore. Uh, my piece has shifted. It's not a better or worse piece, but it is a valid piece. And I think finally, those sorts of pieces are given validation because people recognize we've got to learn to be fast, nimble and very, very good. And right now we're slow, sluggish and we lose quality um, because we've, you know, because of, the, of how cumbersome we've become. Um, so I think they're the shifts. There'll be a leaner model of the of the expression of church that we have right now. Um, but I think there'll be new, new, new versions of what we do popping up all over the place. And I sure hope that there are. Yeah, and, and one thing that's always interesting for me, I, I say this all the time with clients, and even I've said it often here, is that my observation is that most of the time, people, organizations, cultures, unless there is a catalytic event, they really don't make incredible change. You know, sometimes we can focus and get going and things like that. But I, I am, you know, sometimes I can find myself getting a little bit down about what's going on because it's going to be painful. There's going to be a lot of pain with this change. However, what an opportunity for reset is the word I keep using over and over again, reset, because there's a crumbling of this Babylonian, you know, system culture. There always has been, but that I believe is what we're seeing. And that is that Anathan is so... To me, such a part of that, there's a component to this that I want to ask about before we wrap, and that's the kind of the business solutions coaching, because you guys aren't just going in necessarily with the spiritual. You are bringing a lot of the pieces together. Tell us about that. What is What goes on with that? Yeah, I, one thing that the Lord, like I said, it found us, so we didn't come in with this big model and this big plan. It's just like we were making this thing up as we go along. Um, and I just, I've always had to be very, very clear about that because I don't want people under any illusions. However, the one thing I, I am very clear on is that we do know how to hear the voice of God We've, because of the, the, the processes that we go through. And that's been tested. It's been proof of concept. It's been validated by people who are running at way higher levels in this world than what I'm running at. So it's like, OK, well, we know we're on the right track uh, more as a self-assessment tool than anything about look at us just to know that we're on that track. When we speak at conferences, and we've spoken at conferences literally all over the world, one of the first things I say is just like that I've said, I'm never the smartest bloke in the room, but I know how to listen to the one who is, and I want to help you learn to do that. 
Um, that, that's always our starting point. If I can help a leader learn to hear the voice of God, then I come alongside and through the processes that we can help them with, go, now what are the things that are starting to emerge through this process that Holy Spirit's revealing? They bring those things up and then we help coach those things into practice. Um, so it's a very upside down kind of model. Um, we, 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 we lead it from the bottom up rather than the top down. Um, even our, and again, the, the, the way we go about this, I, ha I never have a contract. We refuse to sign contracts because if it can't be predicated on trust when we're building kingdom business, then go find someone else. I'm not a fashion statement. Um, I'm not a fashion accessory. Um, and the Lord said, I want you to be pouring into hungry people. So that's, that's the main measurement for me. Is a person hungry? It doesn't matter where they sit in the pecking order. Uh, are they hungry? If they're hungry, then they're worth spending the time with because it's actually going to go deep. So then what we do is we put the onus back on when the, the, when the finance question comes up. It's the fun question uh, because we say, actually, what we want you to do, money is one of the main things that um, God uses to, to teach business leaders how to listen to him. Why don't you go and pray about what he says the value add is to your personal life, your family life and your business life? There's no right or wrong answer. But I've just entered into a trust relationship with you as you've entered into a trust relationship with me because I believe that through you, you're going to help to put food on my table as well. Um, so I'm just excited. There's no right or wrong answer if it's this small or if it's this big um, that we treat everybody the same. But let's go on a journey of listening together. Um, and so it is truly a partnership with them and with Holy Spirit um, to build kingdom, not thingdom. Yeah, that that's beautiful, man. I love I love especially that last part you mentioned about how the uh, the financial pieces is, is there. There's a lot to learn from that. And you know what? I am going to let us. Uh, somewhat wrap at that because I just want that to just linger with people. The next thing I want to ask is how can people connect with you, Mark? Uh, you and I, I would love to have like multiple conversations. We could do a series of conversations. <laughs> it's just, there's so much depth here, but how can people connect with you? I want people to reach out. We'll include it in the notes, but I want you to verbally give yeah. people how they can reach out to you. Well, uh, there, there's a couple of ways. Email is dead easy. Uh, info at anathan.co. Um, so info at anathan.co is, is a very easy way. Um, but then we also have our, our app, which is called You Church, Y-O-U Church, one word, because you are the church. Um, and you'll find that on, on, on uh, Google Play, Apple App Store. You'll find it on Apple TV, on Roku as well. Um, it's sitting on there. Um, so look for You Church. And then our, our website has uh, ways, again, if people want to look at how they can partner with us, come alongside or if they need some coaching or they're looking at being a part of a micro church or starting one of their own, uh, the qualification levels. Do you love Jesus? Do you love people? That'll do. We can help you with the rest. Um, and and we, we, know we don't have these super high benchmarks that people have to aspire to in order to get something up and running to be a facilitator of a micro church. Um, and so they, they can do that. They can look on our website at anathan.co. Um, and there's ways there that are very easy to find out and get connected with us and find out. We also run micro retreats out of our home. Uh, my wife is uh, getting ready to hit the webinar season again. We had a, a hiatus on that. We we're doing all this other stuff. But uh, for her book, The Boardroom of the Inner Man, which is just, it took the place by storm when it came out. Uh, she's going to run more webinars on that as well. Um, so yeah, we've just got lots of, lots of bits and pieces that are going on. Anathan.co, info at anathan.co or our YouChurch app. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. What's next for you? What are you excited about? What's coming up? Um, for me, what's I, it's, it's, it's odd to even say this out aloud, but we talk in the currency of missions, um, just constantly going, well, what's the next country you want to open up? Um, what's, what's the next place? Oh, I think we might have froze up there. 
Are we back? Yeah, we're good. Oh, we're I think we're here. Okay. I think we're here. We're good. Yeah. Okay. okay, excellent. Um, so yeah, what's next for us? We, we think in terms of, of, of currency of nations. So just looking at, um, you know, what's the next place the Lord wants to open up to us? What's the, uh, the next conversation that he's got? And we don't force that. They tend to find us. Um, so it's just we've got a couple of those conversations going on at the moment. Um, we'll see where they lead. Um, but we've, we currently have... Um, in Switzerland, we have Anathan Switzerland. Anathan Canada is getting ready to launch off the ground. Uh, we have Anathan in Nepal, Anathan Australia, Anathan USA. Um, and uh, yeah, so just wherever the Lord's opening up. There. Like I said, there's three countries at the moment right now that are in conversation. So by year's end, we could have eight or more. Um, but what's next? Yeah, it's the currency of nations. Lord, just what, what nations ask. Um, and, uh, you know, the nations is, is his inheritance. We just want a partner to see that happen. So. Wherever, whenever, however, um, we will uh, we'll be a part of that. So just excited and expectant um, to yeah to see which one's next. That's that's great because I think we started off with what you do is you help restore the nations. I'm glad we're wrapping that with here. We are seek go create those three words, Mark. Which word resonates the most with you and why? And this will be our final question, and I'll do a quick wrap. Mm. Um, gosh, they, I mean, they all resonate, but I think go just by nature of where we are, because if you want to grow a global, have a global impact, you've got to turn up um, because you, you just can't do it any other way. So finding ways to turn up. Um, the, others, the other two for me take care of themselves. As you turn up, then the Lord shows you where he wants you to seek and go after. Um, and then you create. I remember one night we, we turned up in the Netherlands um, and uh, the Lord gave us opportunity to speak at, at a, a particular event. And someone at the event said, uh, now, what are you doing in two nights time? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I think it's pretty clear. They said, great, meet us here. Uh, we ended up in a 17th century windmill coaching 50 young entrepreneurs how to hear the voice of God. Um, you know, some of those guys became clients down the track as well. So you know, if you want to grow something global, you've got to turn up, Tim. And then the seeking starts to happen and the creating happens as a result of that for us. Wow. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so valuable. You brought so much value to Seek, Go, Create, our listeners. I really, really appreciate you, you joining us here. If if you are listening in and you would like to uh, connect with us, continue the conversation, we really would love you to. I'd love for you in whatever channel you're watching this to add comments, to, to like, subscribe. Obviously, I mentioned earlier, you can go to seekgocreate.com. You can comment on this specific episode, see in-depth notes and check that out. Or Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. We're now on YouTube. All of those places we are Seek, Go, Create. Thank you again for joining us. Until next time, be all that you were created to be.